0: In first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets, and among them, leading the way, their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples, come, follow me that all who draw near may be covered in dust. Good morning, Rise City Church. How are we doing today? Ooh, a little bit rowdy. I like it. Hey, grab a Bible. We're going to be exploring all kinds of passage, passage. Whoa, bless you. That was the Holy Ghost sneeze, if I've ever heard one. She deserves a round of applause for that one. That was amazing. Oh, She's like, I'm never coming back to this church. Oh, I'm sorry. I should not have I apologize. I won't make eye contact with you. I promise it'll be good. All right. Open your Hey, good morning, Pastor Church. How are we doing? Okay. Let's start over. All right. Uh, we we are in a journey of discipleship because what we are doing as a church, we're not gathering a crowd. We're not spreading a religion. We are learning to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. This is what it is. You maybe even are new to church. Man, I'm constantly having conversations with people who are like, this is a new thing for me. And you're guarded because you're like, I, I, see, I see a political movement. I see religiosity. I see these opinions. And there's so many things about uh, evangelicalism or, or Christianity that I don't like. I'm with you on a lot of those things, if I can be honest. You know what I'm for? Jesus we are followers of Jesus. Our call is to walk in His footsteps. And so last week we looked at the the toxic way of a hurry like hurried life that we are we are shriveling our spirituality, we are shriveling our relationships and our depth because we are so rushed and so hurried by so many different things. And so this week we're going to look at living the way of Jesus. What does it look like to actually walk how He walked? Because our our life life and the experience we go through is tied to our lifestyle. And what I mean by that, there's plenty of things you, cannot, you do not have any control over, but your day-to-day life, the fullness of it absolutely is tied to the way that you walk. This is what Jesus means when he says, take my yoke upon you. He means that if we want to experience the life of Christ, the fullness, the intimacy with the Father, then we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We've separated the two. We think, okay, I I can just believe these things, and that's what it means to be a Christian, is I have a cognitive awareness. No, we actually have to walk in the footsteps of our Savior. Uh, Think of it like this. So, my, my first house my wife and I bought in 2014, and it is in Fairview Village, and I love, uh, one of the things I love about Fairview Village is it's incredibly walkable. They, they have paths all around, but they also have paths that go through the neighborhood. This is the neighborhood right over by a target in Fairview. And, and so th- there's, there's a walking path, multiple of them, that go directly between the houses. And our first house was, was that we purchased was a townhome that was right alongside one of those paths, which we kind of actually enjoyed, you know. People are constantly walking past. We'd wave, say hi, you know, and um, we had this plant. And um, it was a kiwi plant that was on the side of our property. It was planted before we got there. And at first I was like, this thing is amazing because they grow, if you know anything about a kiwi plant, they grow really fast. Uh, A kiwi plant will grow to be 10 to 40 feet long. It's not a tree. It's like, you know, it's like this vine almost that grows out of the ground. But every summer and spring, something would happen. It would grow and grow and grow and grow, and then it would flop over and just be like the saddest, like most annoying thing. Like my neighbors were like, really, like I'm trying to walk on a path and like you got this kiwi, you know, in my way. And it it, it, like constantly was this like point of struggle. And I kid you not, I kid you not, this week, I had already, I already knew I was going to talk about this kiwi plant. Two days ago, our tenant who lives in that house now texted me and was like with a picture said, hey, uh, this plant like the HOA is gonna be mad at me. Like, what do I? Like, literally, what do I do? And I, re- she knows I'm pastor. I replied to her. I was like, I am not even joking. I am talking about that plant on Sunday. She's like, ha, do something about it, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, fast forward to where we live now. Uh, we are, uh, we're landscaping our house, and, you know, we're putting up shrubs and plants and all this stuff, and, and we have all these shrubs, and then there's this, like, um, this, I don't even know the right terminology for it. I call it, like, this, this like, passage, this archway. That's what, I almost said passageway, like, it's a door. There's this archway that my wife, she bought and, and installed, and it's metal, and, and uh, you walk through it to get to our side yard, but she planted this plant next to it, and it's Amazing! As this plant is growing, and it grows, it grows multiple inches a day. It is wrapping its way in between the, the cross stitching of this archway, and it is making its way up this archway, over the top, and coming back down. And I'm like, "This is the coolest plant I've ever seen." And I ask her, "I'm like, Jesse, what what plant is that that is doing that?" And she responds, "It's a kiwi plant." Now, one environment, it is the most annoying plant I've ever... I'm, why am I talking about a plant, right? Like, a discipline, a plant. I had a strategy for a plant. And in another, it's this incredible experience. Both same, same seed, same fruit, same growth. What's the difference? One has a trellis, and one is just set to go wild, what we need in our lives is we need a guidepost. We need a trellis. We need a framework in which we build upon. And that is the life of Jesus. It, walking the lifestyle of Jesus, slowing down, resting, taking Sabbath, getting away to be alone like Christ, it is not meant to limit your growth. That's not the purpose of it. It's meant to guide you towards fruitfulness. And so when we're talking about living the way of Jesus, that is what we mean, and that is what we are walking. And Dallas Willard, he put it like this. He says, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke, referring to Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, doing all the things he said in the Sermon on the Mount while also living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. And I think Dallas is spot on in this. To live the way of Jesus is not just to believe certain things, not to just act in certain ways, but that the way of Jesus would permeate through all of our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the lifestyle of Christ. We're going to look at a lot of passages uh, a, kind of an overview in some ways of the Gospels, because I want to see the rhythm and the pattern that Jesus walked in. So the first thing, when we look at the lifestyle of Jesus, I want you to see that, is that Jesus, he walked with purpose. He was clear about his calling, and he was deeply driven towards it. He, he walked with purpose. It wasn't just like... Um, he, he wasn't lazy, he, he, he was motivated, and he, and he moved quickly. Uh, we, we look at his timeline, and we look at the life of Christ, uh, just kind of a quick overview. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and we always, you know, we have our Christmas pageants, and the wise men, and the magi show up, and he's always like little ba- you know, little eight ounce, you know, eight pound, four ounce baby Jesus, right? Now, like actually Jesus was two years old when the, when the wise men came to, to visit him, and um, part of their advice was, hey, the, the this ruler of the day is coming after these children. And so him and his family went to Egypt. He spent his adolescent years actually in Egypt, probably somewhere between two and eight. We don't know absolutely for sure, but then he came out of Egypt. It was actually prophesied in the Old Testament, came out of Egypt, um, and then he went, entered the the ancient Near Eastern school system. So from roughly from ages eight to 14, we don't know for sure if it was, it might have been 11, might have been 12. He, he was apprenticing and, and studying the Torah, and then he went on to study under his earthly father, Joseph, as a carpenter. Now, here's what I want to point out, which is fascinating to me. He spent roughly ages 12, 13, 14, all the way to 30 as a carpenter. And then, only spent three and a half years in his life of ministry. Now, this is kind of fascinating to me. Let me make a couple observations. First, Jesus... God incarnate, take on flesh and blood. He did not feel like it was a waste of time to learn a craft and work it. Isn't that incredible? Part of it, part of the reason I want to point this out is because we separate, okay, here's my spiritual life and then here's my everyday life. I want you to see that the way of Jesus applies to your everyday life. The reason he did this is simple. In order to die as the perfect sacrifice, Jesus first had to live as the perfect human. That, it was his life, how he lived it, that, made, that, that lived the fullness of humanity, that made him worthy to be a sacrifice for all the rest of humanity. That's why he's the second Adam. Adam fell short, Jesus fulfilled Okay, And so we see this and we look at Christ and and we should take great implications from this as as we look at his life and what it it looks like, that he actually walked through these things. And so for us, we have to understand that we have so much to take away from Jesus' deity, that he was fully God, but we also have incredible things to learn from his humanity. And so Jesus, he spends the first 30 years of his life on earth just simply living and and, and being human, and we have a lot to take away from that. But then at age 30, he begins his public ministry, which launches into a three-and-a-half-year period of of living with this very public purpose. And so I want to look at Matthew 16. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. If not, I'm I'm going to put it on the screen. And, And I just want to see how Jesus explains... His focus and his purpose This is what it says Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? Who am I?" And they, they talk about rumors. And, and, and oh, some people say John the Baptist, and so, you know, some people think you're this reappearing of this Old Testament prophet. And Peter looks and he says, "You are the Christ." Which means you are the Messiah. You are the one we were waiting on. You are the Son of the living God. And then in verse 20, Jesus says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he reveals, Hey, here's why I'm here I'm the Messiah. And I need to go to Jerusalem to die. And so you're on this journey with me, and you're my disciples. You're following and learning along. But I need you to hear this. We're going somewhere. We're headed to Calvary, where I will die, where I will be crucified, but then I will raise again on the third day. And Peter, Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Peter's like, oh no, like you got this wrong. And he says, saying, far be it from You, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And so he starts into this rant. We kind of know, and Jesus actually cuts him off. It says, Peter began to rebuke him, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, this is an important moment in Peter's life and for us to walk away with. Why? Jesus is not, he's not being overly harsh with Peter. We know he's not being unloving. We know that Jesus deeply loves Peter. But Jesus knows his purpose and his calling, and he's showing us that when God calls us to something, When he moves us towards our purpose, the enemy, Satan, will do anything and everything to hinder us from fulfilling that calling. That's what we looked at last week. That's the the danger of a, a busy life. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And Jesus is saying, no, I have a purpose, and you will follow me and walk in it, but do not get in my way. Do not thwart the plans of the God. How can he have such conviction? It's because he has clarity and conviction around his calling that is allowing him to say, no, 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 anything that gets in the way of that, I'm gonna rebuke, I'm gonna pull it away, and we need to live in such a way as that. See, Jesus, he walked with purpose because he had deep clarity in his identity and his calling. John Mark Comer puts it like this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." He says, there is a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure and trivial pursuits. By that definition, Jesus himself was busy. He had a full life. He's going to save the world in three and a half years. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do. It's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. Listen to me. Some of you in this room are driven, hungry, hungry passionate men and women. And to say, hey, we need to slow down and be present in no way, shape, or form is trying to squash that fire. We're trying to build a trellis for our life. We're trying to build a framework that is actually sustainable to walk in and to walk through. And some of you in this room, uh, you're you're lazy, (laughs) unmotivated sluggards. And this message of walking—don't don't look at your roommate, okay? He's talking to you, okay? I need you to hear this is not the way of Jesus. The one worry I have when saying, "Hey, we need to slow down," is that some people will use that as permission to continue being lazy. Now. Jesus, when we look at the way of Jesus, we need to start with how passionate and how driven. He walked with purpose, but he, he also walked with a pace. See, he, Jesus, he, he had a rhythm to his life. And I just want to look at it, a few passages and a few ways that we see this rhythm and this pace that he walked. First, he, he moved at his own pace. He was not preoccupied with what other people had to say. In um, Mark chapter 1, it's kind of this introduction, Mark's introduction to Jesus in ministry. and ministry. And Jesus just starts moving. Uh, he, he's baptized. We know that he's baptized. And then he goes off into the wilderness to spend time alone with God. And he's tempted by Satan, but he, but, but he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And then he comes out, and he just starts healing people. And he starts saving people. And he starts casting out demons and, 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 and healing the sick. And he's moving and he's going. And it says in Mark 1, 35, it says, And rising, after all of this, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus spends 40 days, 30 years of carpentry, 40 days preparing, one day of ministry, and then what does he do the next morning? He gets up, and he goes alone to a desolate place. Now, if you're like me, like, you know, like, what it means to just, like, be exhausted from something like ministry or pouring out, being a part of people's lives, and, and, and you almost kind of assume, like, what are you going to do the next day? Well, you're taking a day off, right? You're going to sleep in. Like, he should have gone down to Bethlehem Burrito, got his sausage burrito with avocado sauce on the side. You know what I'm saying? You know, head to stomping grounds, get a little mixed chai. Just relax, Jesus. You know, that's what we think is recharging. Yet Jesus, he doesn't do that. He gets up early and he goes to be alone. The word desolate place actually means he goes back to the wilderness to be alone and connect with his father. And so the disciples come looking for him. And so Simon, Peter, and those who were with, with him searching for him, they find Jesus alone. And they're like, bro, everyone is looking for you. Like, translation, Jesus, you just had an incredible day of ministry. The crowds are here. The people want you. Like, you, hey, they're call, they, they have some conferences lined up. They'd love for you to go speak at. You start to build a name. Zondervan has a contract Like, this book deal could be off the chains, Jesus. Like, hey, I got your social media set up. We make a couple push ads. Like, you're going to build a platform. People know who you are. Like, let's go for it. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. That's Jesus for no. Jesus moves at his own pace. He's not controlled by the demands of his life. He's not controlled by other people's expectations of him. Why? Because he has clarity around his purpose and his calling. And he says, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to move at my own pace. He has three years to teach and heal and save the universe. Yet he seems to be on his own timeline. Second, he often spent intentional time alone. You read through the scriptures, you'll see this over and over and over. It tells us in Luke 5, it says the news about him spread all the more, right? The rumors, this is the Messiah. And not only that, he's healing people, and he's casting out demons, and he's feeding thousands He's performing miracles so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. You're like this is the this is the point, right? You're here for 3 years, you build as big a crowd as possible and you have to just go and go and go and go nonstop. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He's the king of the universe. Fully engaged with the power of the Spirit. Healing people of sickness. And even Jesus gets away to lonely places often. And he prays and he connects with his Father. Like if Jesus does that, how much more do you need that in your life? And sometimes we can read these things and like, oh, okay, like why did he do this? Well, it's because he needed to escape the pressure of life. That's not why. He didn't go to desolate places. He didn't get away to escape. He got away to be equipped. He got away to be filled up with connection with the Father and the Spirit so that he could be equipped to be the presence of God here on earth. So this is what we have to take. So often, the demands and the pressure that we face, the first thing to go is our day off. The first thing to go is our time alone. The first thing to go is our quiet time reading the scriptures and praying with God. We're like, what do we say? No, like, I'm just too busy for that right now. And Jesus shows that demands of life, they pushed, G, pushed him towards rest and prayer, not away from it. And we need to remind ourselves of that. You know, I, I started very active in ministry when I was about 18 years old. And so, um, I'm 36 years old now, and so by my math, half my life I've been in ministry. I think I did pretty good on that. Thursday um, was probably my heaviest day in 18 years of ministry. I I woke up, a text message from a family member of just some devastating news of something they're going through. And it was just one of those where you're just like praying out to the Lord before you even get out of bed. Um, And... uh, But very quickly, I was like, "Okay, I need to get up, get ready." My my daughter is; she's graduating from kindergarten today, and so I went and I got her flowers, and I went to her school, and I watched her graduate, and it was just like this amazing moment. But it was also filled with grief for me. Um, For some reason, those are the hardest moments. where I miss my mom who passed away four years ago. I miss that their mom will never get to see these moments. And it's just, it's just even though it's joyful, it's marked by, by grief. And so I left from there, came directly here, and uh, had a staff meeting, and, and uh, was, was able to participate in about the last hour or so of the staff meeting. Before the meeting is even over, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's like, hey, I, I just need to share some of the hardship that I'm going through in my life and my marriage. And we sit and we just talk on the phone. I'm sitting in my office and and we're continuing to talk. um, And and it gets so long that I start getting a knock on the door uh, and it's Kristen, she's like, hey, like that meeting that we're supposed to have in the lobby is like right now. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so I, I wrap up this phone call and I walk from my office Uh, through the auditorium out to the lobby. And while I'm walking, I have to stop and say, okay, what is that meeting that I'm about to enter into? Like my day has just been so emotional already. I don't even remember what meeting. And I get about halfway through the auditorium and I'm like, oh, this is the funeral planning meeting with family and friends who just suddenly and shockingly lost a dear friend and sister of theirs on Tuesday morning. And so I walk in and I I meet this family, and immediately um, I'm just embracing the grief and the sorrow of this sudden loss. And my heart, it just breaks. And in some ways, I'm just so overwhelmed that I get to be a part of people's lives in that kind of way. But it's just heavy. And we kind of get done talking through the funeral that's going to be happening. And I start walking out to my truck. And as I'm walking out to my truck, I get a phone call. And it's a buddy of mine who's a pastor here in Gresham. And I pick up and he starts to explain to me that he is leaving his church and he's moving to a different state. This is a close friend that I thought we were going to be doing ministry together for years, for decades to come. And he was like, can we just meet and talk? And so I go and I meet with him and he's pouring out, he's explaining and, and how his church has responded as he shared with them and the things that they're going through. And, and, and you know, there's even this friendship level of like, man, I'm gonna miss you. I thought we were gonna be doing this together and all, all these pieces. And I leave from that meeting and I go directly to a family's house who last Friday, the husband, the father of the family found out he had a brain tumor and they just got news right before I went and met with them that the hospital called and said, most likely this is 100% terminal. He has between a month and 12 months to live. You need to start like getting your affairs in order. And I walk into this family's house as they're just grieving and mourning. It was so heavy. And if I can be honest, days like that, I just feel incapable. Like, like, what, do you, like what, do you, what do you say to people? You know what I'm saying? Like like what do you say? Like what do you ask in those moments? Like what what do they need? How do you grieve with people? I just feel so incapable in those moments. But this passage that I've been reading all week just sat in my head. But Jesus, the Son of God, the King of the Universe, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. And so before one of those interactions I had, I said, okay, rather than be there right now, I need 30 minutes. I'll be there in 30 minutes. And they said, okay. And I went and I got my truck and I drove to my favorite sushi place. (laughs) And I brought my headphones, my noise-canceling headphones. And I sat down at my little rotating sushi bar and I put my headphones on and I turned on some worship music and I grabbed my rainbow rolls and my wasabi and I just sat in the presence of the Lord and worshiped and prayed. Did I do that in order to escape? No, that was not an escape moment. I did that in order to be equipped. If Jesus, the King of the universe, often withdrew, then we need to too when life feels overwhelming. And we need to press into the presence of the Lord. This is actually what he teaches his disciples. See, he teaches them the, this rhythm of life, how you actually walk through life. We see an example of this in Mark 6. And so they're following him, they're learning what it looks like, and he's showing them what it means. To bring the kingdom, and so he had a goal, and he had a purpose, and he had a reason, but he 's also showing them a pace in which to live. We see this, so he sends out he has these twelve apostles he 's about seventy two disciples that we know of, but twelve apostles, and he 's sending out these twelve apostles, saying, "Hey, you can do what I do. I want you to go heal, and I want you to go pray, and I want you to go present. And he sends them out two by two. This is verse, verse seven, and he called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority. Over the unclean spirits. He's like, now I'm giving you this authority so you can go cast out these demons and preach the gospel. So they went out, verse 12, and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. And he healed them. Now, I just, first observation I just want to make like, Jesus didn't just coddle these disciples. He didn't just say, like, hey, you're going to be safe. No, he sends them out and he says, you're going to do real work. That's what it means to be a follower of me. At one point, Jesus says, like, I'm sending you as, like, sheep among wolves, right? Like, some of the things we do in Christianity, we just try to make it so safe and simple. And he's like, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Like, like go, go get them, right? Like, that's what they go. And they, they, they experience this and they come back. And what does Jesus say? How does he respond to them when they actually come back? He's like, good, we got three and a half years. I'm glad you got that under your belt. Now in the next city, and the next city, let's go, let's move. Like the devil never sleeps, neither will we. Like, no, that's not what he says. It says, verse 30, they return. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the rhythm and the pace that Jesus wants to teach us. Yeah, we go hard after life. We should know our calling and our purpose, and we should live with passion and vigor and fire. But we need to do it in the way of Jesus. And there's a rhythm to that and a pace. Frederick Dale Bruner, he puts it like this. He says, life is a succession of burdens. Amen? It is a succession of burdens. Like weight after weight after weight. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, his his way of living, his interpretation, his truth, it will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Why do we spend time with him? It's how we yoke ourselves to him so that Jesus can carry the weight, so that he can carry the burden, that we can walk through this in a sustainable, real way pace. When, when I first got into ministry, one of the things I was told was uh, uh, ministry is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Long haul. Like that makes sense, right? Um, that is like such a terrible analogy. Okay. A- anybody, uh, anybody ever run a half marathon or like a full marathon in this room? Like high in pride. Oh oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. Put us all. This- nice, man. Okay. I feel intimidated now. I've done a turkey trot. Okay. <laughs> But anybody who's run that distance, 13 miles, 26 miles, right? Point two. I won't cut you short, right? Knows the only way you get to the finish line is you have to know your pace. Am I, do I run a 10-minute mile? Do I run a seven-minute mile? Like, where am I at? You can't be fluctuating up and down or you will burn out by mile seven. And so you actually run at a steady pace, so I've heard, <laughs> you've run at a steady pace the whole time. That's the only way to do it. And so we say things like life is a marathon. You have to find that steady pace. Like I think that is just garbage because you don't know what's coming at you. You don't know what you're facing this week. You don't know what you're facing next month. There is, a, there is an on and off. And what we need is we need to know that there are times where you hustle hard, And there are times where you need to rest hard. That is the only way to make it through life. And I was explaining this to somebody. I was like, yeah, so that's a bad bad metaphor. And I don't know what the right metaphor is. And and, and this very fit individual raised his hand. And he's like, oh, I know what you're looking for. I was like, okay. He goes, it's called hit. (laughs) And I'm like, what is that? And so he explains to me. He... Hit high-intensity interval training. I'm like, hoorah. Like, that just sounds awesome. And so I start researching this and looking into it. And it's, it's, it, There's a new wave of this, okay? And what it is, is, is for 20, 30 seconds, you are going hard after a particular exercise. It could be pull-ups, push-ups, burpees, lifting certain weights. You're going as hard as you can for that period of time. But as soon as that period of time is over— you have to rest hard. You're, you're going for 30 seconds, and then you're resting for 30, or you're resting for 20. And it's this back and forth. And, and, and in that 30, you're doing this for 20, 30, 40 minutes, but it's this intentional. I was like, man, that, that just ties in so much. And so th- there's reason this is so effective and it's become popular, okay? There's three things that it, that it affects. First, there's an intentional target to focus. You know what exercise you're doing. You know what muscle you are targeting, but just as intentionally, you are purposeful about the rest and the rhythm. It's not just like, hey, I do this exercise and rest till I think it feels good, or I just do this exercise and don't rest. No, it's a back and forth, a back and forth, a back and forth. And because of this rhythm of, of going hard after it and resting hard, there's a byproduct. You know what the byproduct is? It engages your heart in a different way. It's a muscle exercise, but it ends up being a cardio exercise because of the rhythm. Now, here's what is so brilliant about this, why I just love this, and I just think it fits to our call of ministry. We need to be so intentional about living our purpose and calling, and we should go hard after it, but we need to be just as intentional about our rhythms of rest and solitude. This is what Jesus modeled. And here's what's amazing to me. You know what the byproduct of that is? We have a deeply engaged heart. We have a heart that has space when people show up. We have a heart filled with purpose and clarity and compassion when those enter our lives. See, this is what is so incredible about Jesus. Yes, he lived with purpose, Yes, he had a pace and a rhythm, but Jesus' pace never took precedent over people. Constantly, Jesus is being interrupted. Just one last example. I just want you to see this, Matthew 9. It says, while he was saying this, what's he saying? Jesus is teaching. And he's, he's teaching about fasting, Says a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did the disciples. Okay, now just think about this for a second. This is this is Jesus. In the beginning, he is he is the word. (laughs) Take on flesh and blood. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he's teaching, right? Like, the most important teaching in the history of humanity is anything that Jesus taught, right? Better than anything you can read, better than anything you can hear, is the words of Christ. And he's teaching, and somebody shows up and he's like, my daughter has died, will you come? And he just stops everything he's doing, and him and his disciples leave. Like, think about being in that room, like, for everybody else, how awkward that would be. You're, like, sitting there, and, like, you're, like, this is good, man. Oh, that's, like, Jesus, that's a good illustration. I like that. You know, oh, that's funny. I'm laughing, right? Oh, I understand in a deeper way. Like, you're going through listening to Jesus, and all of a sudden, somebody comes up, says something in his ear, and he's, like, <laughs> right? And then everybody, like, every, like, everybody just still, you're just, like, sitting there still. are <laughs> like, do we bring the keyboardist up? Like, do we start, like, I'm not going to actually play, I promise, like, like worship team and like do we do more announcements like, you know, like give the people what they want? Like what do what you do in that moment? Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. Now now see this. As he's going to heal, as he's going to enter this brokenness, it says, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus stopped. He turned. And what does that phrase say? He saw her. He is busy. He's teaching in synagogues. There is a dead girl that he is going to go raise back to life. And a woman who is suffering, who has been ostracized for her community, touches his cloak, experiences healing, and he wants to pause what he's doing so that everybody in the room, everybody around, sees that she is now clean, that she is now healed. Take heart Daughter, your faith has healed you, and the woman was healed at that moment. This is the kind of Savior we follow. This is the way of Jesus over and over and over. He was interrupted in what he was teaching, where he was going. It didn't derail his purpose, but his purpose, his pace, never took precedent over the people that his father had divinely placed before him. And we need this. We need to know this. There is no calling, no purpose, no project, no lifestyle, no rhythm, no rest that is more important than a person that God has divinely placed before you. And I want you to take great comfort in the fact that that applies to you. And I don't just mean that you need to go do it. I mean that Jesus has done it for you. That he interrupted perfect intimacy with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity to enter our world and enter our lives. And a number of months back, I was preaching on a Sunday, and like I'm pretty useless to do anything else on a Sunday. Like, I'm just emotionally, mentally spent. And so, like, sometimes you'll be talking to me on a Sunday and, like, my eyes are glazed over and I'm, like, smiling and nodding. I'm like, thanks, Carl. You're like, it's Janet. You know, like, <laughs> like just bear with me in those moments, right? I'm just gone. Like I, like, I need somebody to, like, hold my hand through my schedule of the day. And so, um, my daughter had a recital that day. And I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm talking to my buddy, Zach, and we're having this conversation. And all of a sudden I look at him like, Zach, what time is it? And he goes, one o'clock. And I just walk away. I grab my keys and I run to my truck because her recital was at one o'clock in Happy Valley. And I start driving there and if I'm honest, like I'm actually like, I go from like, hey, I'm holy and righteous and teaching the scriptures and I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm just like, I'm gripping the steering wheel. Like I'm, I'm kind of like banging it. I'm mad at myself. Because like, I don't wanna be that dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, the one who's like, sorry, sweetie, I hope that was a wonderful once-in-a-lifetime experience. I was busy at work. Like, and I'm just so upset. Like, why didn't I set a reminder? Why, why didn't I have an alarm? Why didn't, like, all just mad. And so, but, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And I pull in. I drive the 20 minutes to Happy Valley, and I pull in the parking lot. And as I pull in the parking lot, what's happening? the door the front doors are open and all the families and the dancers are departing because the recital is over and like i see my little girl and she comes running towards me and she's just got tears in her eyes and i just pick her up and like like if i like that is a moment of shame for me and i'm just holding her cuz i know that the reason she's so upset is because i missed her recital And I just hold her, and I just whisper in her ear, and I just tell her I'm so sorry, and I tell her I love her, and I just ask, I ask her, I say, Nova, what are you feeling right now? And she says, I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm like, baby, why are you feeling embarrassed? I'm like, because your dad wasn't there. Because she goes, she goes, I'm feeling embarrassed because I didn't know the dance, and I didn't like all those people watching me. And I say, I'm so. Sorry, sweetie, is there anything your daddy can do? And she goes, No, I'm just so glad that you're here right now. And it just was a moment. And I lean into her even closer and I just whisper in her ear, I say, What about ice cream? And she whispers back, With sprinkles. (laughs) With sprinkles, baby. See, I was so wrapped up in myself and my schedule and my business and all these things that I'm just feeling like this complete failure in this moment. What I needed in that moment was not to go see a dance and go be there for a dance. I needed to go be there for a dancer who was grieving in her embarrassment. And and we can be so hard on ourselves about all the things that we, like, do what Jesus did in seeing people and loving on them. Because that's what he's done for us. Yes, I want you to live the way of Jesus. I want you to live with purpose and meaning and calling and significance and rest and rhythm. I want all of that for you. But what I want for you even more is to see that you have a Savior that will pause everything for you and be present with you in your grief, in your sorrow, in your overwhelm, That's who he is. There is no, there is nothing in this universe too big or too important that he won't stop and see you. And that's what we need more than anything is that kind of savior. See, a pace like Jesus will give rest to our lives and to our bodies. It will but finding our place and our peace in Jesus. That's what gives rest to our souls. And that is what we need more than anything. Jesus, you are such an incredible savior. Lord, we want to walk in your footsteps. We want to be your disciples. We want to walk with purpose and drive and passion. But Lord, help us to also walk slowly to often get away and to just spend time with you and to hear your voice, to be equipped and recharged and built up. But Lord, in all of that, would we see people the way that you did, that our agendas would not take precedence over your image bearers. Lord, thank you for pausing eternity to enter this world and offer us life and life to the full. Would we be a people who walk in that? In your name, amen.